As one of the pastors here at Forest Hill Church, it is my privilege to welcome you, as well as those who are online or those who are also watching from whatever particular seat that they may be in, whether it's in their home or their, their dinner living room or from one of our campuses, Waxhaw, Fort Mill, South Boulevard, and the Valentine Campus. And for those that, that are right here with the South Park and the NODA congregation, thanks for being a part of this. As we continue in this series, it's called Cutting Through the noise, the idea that there is a lot of distractions in our world, in our society, and that we really want to be able to know how to live life in a way that makes sense. And so we're taking a look at this book of Proverbs to be able to gain a sense of understanding of the wisdom that God has given to us as Solomon, the wisest man other than Jesus Christ who's ever lived, that wants to pass on to his son this collection, this reference manual of wisdom in order to help, help, help us live life in a way that agrees with the rhythm of God's life as he intends for us. Especially in the nature of what took place last week, Jason kind of gave us a foundation of helping us understand that the beginning of wisdom is the fear, the awe of the Lord. And that informs the way that we respond to his truth in that way that it translates into our life. Today, we're going to be talking about another aspect of wisdom, and that is making good decisions. Making good decisions. Folks, it's not simply just knowing what to do or doing what we know, but it's doing what is right, doing what is best, doing what is good, doing those, making those decisions in a way that prevents us from experiencing some of the negative consequences of making bad decisions. Humorously, have you ever heard it said that it's interesting how bad decisions can make for some really great stories? Or how about this one? The person that decided that they were going to go to McDonald's and start eating at McDonald's because they decided to run a marathon and so McDonald's, they ate because they thought that they kind of needed fast food. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, but how about this one? The person who decides to change careers, and they're going to take up the skill, they decided to learn how to pick locks. It opened a lot of doors for them. Yeah, it's, yeah it gets even worse. You know what you call Arnold Schwarzenegger after he makes a decision? Determinator. Okay, that's, that's the last one on that one. So here's the thing. The priority of making decisions, the priority of making decisions, it's one of the things that human beings consistently, consciously constantly do. From the moment that you open your eyes in the morning to the time that you close them and everything in between, we're always making decisions. You will not find a history book that does not have the chronicle of how decisions, human decisions, have affected the course of human life because of the decisions that people make. But it's no surprise. We were made from a moral being. God made decisions in making us, and quite frankly, he also made us to be able to make decisions. The whole mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve that they would be fruitful, fill the earth, multiply, and rule the earth, that cannot be done without making decisions. And so he puts Adam and Eve in a garden, tells them to tend the garden. He gives Adam the responsibility of naming animals, as well as to, to make sure that they understood that there are trees you can eat from and trees that you should not eat from. All of that requires decisions. And of course, we know that when they made that bad decision to eat the wrong fruit from that tree, it brought a cascade of negative consequences, devastating negative consequences into the reality of humanity, that there are consequences to our bad decisions. Folks, Anthony Robbins, who is a very famous motivational speaker, he says this, success and failure are not overnight experiences. They are the results of small decisions that are made over time that determines whether or not people actually succeed or fail. That underscores the importance and the impact of the kinds of decisions we make, especially for the kinds of things that you need to be deciding on, that we all need to be deciding on, that's a regular part of our life. For instance, the decisions about what kind of friends we're going to have in our lives and how we associate with them. How seriously we're going to take our academic pursuits, where to go to college, our career choices and our career changes, who to marry, if to marry, 
having children, where do we live, how to save and spend money. Here's one particular decision is the wisdom to know when to start and when to quit something. But especially in times like these, there are decisions that are absolutely even more important. For instance, decisions like masks or no masks, right? Or how do we re-enter the public square? How do we reconnect with people? How about this decision? Who do I vote for in November and still hold on to my family and my friends? Or how do I adjust my life to the issues that are taking place because of racial reconciliation, the issues that are gripping our country? How do I educate my children, especially with school systems that are kind of in-person some days and not? Or how about this one? How do I make sure that what I'm about to do, the decision I'm about to make, is worth the risk? Peter Drucker, very famous business management and leadership development guru, he says that making good decisions is a crucial skill at every level. Or Solomon would actually say it like this. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. And on the other side, more positively, verse 26 of chapter 28, the one who who trusts in himself is a fool, but one who walks in wisdom will be saved. So here's the thing. Since the decisions that we make can make or break us, then the most important skill we need to master is knowing how to make good decisions. And here's the big idea for the message. The key to making good decisions is making informed decisions. The key to making good decisions is making informed decisions that's based on something way more than what we know or how we feel. So we're going to take a look at a very famous passage, especially if you've been in church for any significant period of time. This particular passage, which comes from Proverbs chapter 3, many of us have memorized it, and we've become so familiar. It's been stenciled on coffee cups. It's been cross-stitched onto pillows. It's your desktop wall saver, a bookmark. Don't be fooled by the familiarity. I believe that this particular passage holds a powerful key for how we can live life with informed, inspired wisdom that helps us to live life according to how God desires the rhythm of our life to be in harmony with his purpose and his character and his will. So, in the honor of the reading of the word of God, if you are able, let me ask you to stand wherever you may be, and let's take a look at this particular passage from Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. Solomon speaking to his son, God speaking through Solomon to us. Here's what he says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. This will be healing to your body, and strengthening to your bones. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're going to take a look, first of all, at the premise for good, informed decision-making. The premise, and it starts off with this passage in chapter 3, verse 5, about trusting the Lord. The first thing to do in making good decisions, informed, is to trust in the Lord. That word for trust is basically to place your confidence in something, But it starts off with something that we kind of miss, and that is it's a personal engagement. In many of your Bibles, the word Lord is usually spelled with a capital L and then smaller case O-R-D. And that usually refers to God's title, Adonai, the Lord, the one who is the supreme sovereign ruler of all things. 
But in many translations, there's a distinction when that word is spelt with all capitals, L-O-R-D. And when it's spelled with all capitals, as it is in this passage and in many of your contemporary translations, it refers to the name of God. The name of God. In Hebrew, Yahweh. The English kind of translation of it is, is Jehovah. And that word means the I am. It speaks about God's eternal existence and the fact that this God makes himself accessible and available to his covenant people. Not just simply about a title, though that's important, that God intentionally wants his people to know him. That's why when Solomon says, trust in Yahweh, not just a title, but trust in this person who has revealed himself. Because quite frankly, the character and the quality of our trust depends on the character and the quality of what we believe and trust in. Give you an illustration. Every single one of you right now are demonstrating dynamic faith and trust because you're seated in something that you didn't check before you came in. Didn't check the screws, didn't check the construction. You just came in and plopped your weight and sat and rested the full weight of your life on what you're sitting on. Or how about this one? You go to the doctor and you're needing a prescription for a particular problem. And so the doctor checks you out. Then he takes a sheet of paper, writes what amounts to Egyptian hieroglyphics on this piece of paper. And then he hands it to you. You read it. You can't understand it. You don't really care because you're going to take it to a total stranger dressed in a lab coat behind some plexiglass with a bunch of medicine. He, you give him that little document and he or she takes it. They interpret the hieroglyphs. They take a bottle. I mean, you, you leave and they disappear. You don't know what's happening. They're putting this mystery stuff into these bottles. They bring, when you come back, they give you the bottle. They give you the prescription. You go home. You're not looking at the hieroglyphs, not looking at the ingredients, and you just put that inside your body. A total stranger, and you're putting this stuff in your body with complete, that's insane. Other than the fact that on his wall, they've got these degrees that tell him that he's qualified of being able to do that, and you can trust in his education. Here's the thing. If we can trust a total stranger and putting into our bodies foreign objects to be able to address a particular need. How much more so the one who made you from every cellular beginning, who knows you, who loves you, who wants nothing less than the best for you. Is that kind of God not worth the trust? As a matter of fact, that kind of God is the one who is the most worthy of resting the full weight of our life on him, which gets to the next part of it, which says trust in the Lord with all your heart. Folks, heart is not simply just a place of our emotions. As a matter of fact, in the scripture, the heart's also the place of will, of thinking, of intentions, of convictions, of affections. In other words, that we love and trust God with all that we are at the deepest place of who we are because he's most worthy to trust in him with all that's important, all that comprises who we are to trust in him with all our heart. Then it says, do not rely on your own understanding. Don't lean on only what you know. Now, here's what I love about that particular phrase. It doesn't say you shouldn't have understanding. It doesn't say that you should suspend thinking or not do any planning or not doing ex any examination. We're supposed to, we're made to do those kinds of things. But it says, don't lean on it. Glean understanding, don't lean on understanding as if there's nothing other than what you see and how you see things, because God's wisdom is far superior. Leaning on him while we glean understanding. If we're going to be able to make good, informed decisions, it starts with our trusting God. Number two, 
It requires us knowing God. You can kind of see how it leads from the first point to this next one, knowing God. In verse 6, it says, in all your ways, in all your conduct, in all your conditions, in all your manner, in all your thinking, in all that you are and do, know God. Now, again, if you've grown up in church, the way that we memorize that passage, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Interestingly enough, however, to acknowledge something is basically to accept and recognize the existence of something. It's kind of like, yeah, 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 I see you, and I know, I know you're there, but there's no interaction. The actual word in this passage in the Hebrew is not simply just respecting the existence. It's actually to learn, to discern, to examine, to study. It speaks of a relational and experiential knowledge of something, a deep, intimate communion. That in all our ways, in all that we are, in all of our doings, that we are to continue to progressively understand and know experientially, relationally, deeply, intimately, who and how God is. In all of our ways, the greatest pursuit of our lives is to understand God more and deeper and better. Folks, this is a God who wants to be known. He says, in all your ways, know him. And here's the answer to that. And he will make all your plans come true. Nope, that's not what it says. It says, in all your ways, know him. And he will make your paths straight. Not your plans, necessarily. Because quite frankly, I don't know about you, but there's some times that I'm really glad that some of the plans I had didn't come to fruition. No one has plans better from a better perspective than God does. But here's what it means that he makes our paths straight. That our life, as we entrust our life to him, that he is guaranteed to make sure that there are no hindrances, no barriers, no impediments to our life falling in line and in harmony with his righteousness, with his purpose, because God is doing something far greater in and for us than simply what we want him to do for us. That our life is going to be straightforward. Our life is going to have a, an ethical, righteous nature to it. And that our ultimate destiny is not simply the answer for the problem that we want God to do for us, but what God is continuing in the process of conforming us to his image, using everything in our life for that purpose. And that the straight path in that way, God himself will protect as long as we continue to walk in faith and trust. So that's about knowing him. The third thing in this premise is revering God. Revering God. The first part of that verse says, do not be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't assume that your conclusions are the epitome of what wisdom is, that there's no other wisdom other than you. That's arrogance. Be not wise in your own eyes. But then it says, fear the Lord and turn from evil. That word again, fear, which is the beginning of wisdom, that understanding that fear is a sense of awe, a sense of deep respect and reverence for something, awareness of what it can do and the impact that it can have on your life, the kind of awareness that we have for the sun or for fire, or for the ocean. When you're on shore, ocean's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's relaxing. When you're in your house and you've got a fire in the fireplace or fire pit, it's extremely inviting and relaxing. But you're aware that if you're out in the middle of an ocean and there's hurricane gale force winds and you're out there by yourself, it's kind of powerful and overwhelming. That if that fire in your fire pit somehow comes out of that pit and into your house, all of a sudden it's no longer relaxing, it becomes devastating. In other words, there's an understanding when you really truly respect and fear something, you are aware of the power that it can have and what it can do if you transgress the boundary. 
Folks, I've got to say this to you. There's a certain sense in the Scripture that part of the awe and the wonder and reverence we have for God is a recognition of what he can do, especially if we cross those boundaries and we violate his covenant. That God is powerful. It's kind of similar to the woman who had a situation with her husband, and she told a friend who was a very famous author and pastor, and she says, my husband is not measuring up to the standards and my expectations, so therefore I feel it's right for me to look for, towards other men for intimacy. And then she also said that she gets up every single morning and she has an hour conversation with God. And the friend basically said, okay, so in your hour conversation with God, does anything ever come up about the moral implications about this pending decision you have of seeking intimacy with other men? And here's what she said kind of angry. She said, the father and I are about relationship, not morality. Relationship is being wholly supportive and coming alongside of me and not judging me. Is that the kind of relationship you want to have with somebody that wants to get close to you, but they consistently do things that offend you or hurt you? Here's another thing that I sometimes hear about decisions that people make. As long as it's not hurting anybody, what's the problem? Here's the problem. When we say, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody that I can see, that statement usually never includes what God sees. It never even takes into consideration that what we do may actually offend God. We basically say, no, as long as, it, as long as I'm okay with it based on what I can see, it's okay. No, the question is, is it okay with God? Does it offend his righteousness? Can I go ahead and say this to you? Here it is. If the way that we live or the things that we think or the plans that we make actually offend the character of God, folks, it is detrimental for us to live our life in a way that violates the righteousness, the holiness of God is actually dangerous for us whether we can see it in the present or not. The long-term effects of that kind of life, that's a bad decision. So Solomon says to his son and God says to us, revere. Make sure that God is in his proper place as supreme of righteousness, of holiness, of power, of justice, of mercy, of wisdom. And turn from evil. Folks, You can't trust in the Lord with all your heart. You can't desire to know him deeply while pursuing paths and courses that are sinful. Because quite frankly, the intentional pursuit of sin closes our heart and torpedoes opportunities for us to gain the informed wisdom that we desperately need and God desperately wants us to have. So to be able to make good decisions, informed decisions, sometimes especially if you have been at that place where you've made some bad decisions, that your lifestyle is not in keeping with God, then the first thing to do is to confess your sin, to confess the waywardness, confess the disobedience, confess the separation, to repent, turn back around and move towards God and to submit yourself to his guidance so that he can continue the process of bringing his good to your life. And then the end result of it in verse 8 basically says that this will be healing to your body and, and will bring strengthening to your bones. That basically means that there is benefit in this life that can be physical, that can be ethical, way better than any benefit from bad decisions. But there's also an eternal benefit that's included as well as that healing is concerned. In some cases, for some people that make those decisions, they can experience the immediate benefit of actually trusting in God and being guided. 
Before I get to the process, because there are some steps that we can take, this is what the book of Proverbs also offers us, is how do we get to the place of being able to live in accordance with God's nature? Here's a couple of things, first of all. Folks, some of us, we go to God because we think, okay, God, I need an answer because I am so frozen. I want to make the absolute right decision. And and, and if I can't make the right decision, I am paralyzed. And so we become so worried that there's no peace in the process and there's no peace with the results and we're not sure. Here's the thing. I don't believe that God is as concerned with the answers or the decisions that we make I think he's more concerned with the process of that decision. It's kind of like what happens in mathematics, right, with the math, math teacher. What the math teachers really want is they, they, they don't celebrate then you get the, if you get the right answer. What they want to know is how did you get that? They want to see the worksheet. They want to know, okay, I know you said 2 plus 2 equals 10, which is not really right. How did you get to that place? It's the process to make sure that this same process, as we practice it, will consistently lead us to the right conclusions which means that there's a process in Proverbs that I think can help us in being able to make these good decisions. Because again, the key to making good decisions is making informed decisions. So here's step number one. And this this doesn't necessarily go in any particular order, but one of the most important principles is this. Number one, get guidance from God. Process of making informed decisions, get guidance from God. Here's what Proverbs says, verse 13 of chapter 13. Whoever despises the word, brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Chapter 8, verse 15, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Confession, it may disqualify me as a pastor, but folks, I have not had in my life a lot of burning bush experiences. As a matter of fact, you know how many burning bush experiences there are in the Bible? Uno, just one. But people think that people who are pastors, that God is always speaking and always gives them the exact answers for the particular problems. Folks, in my life, I have not had in anywhere near a majority, as a matter of fact, an overwhelming minority of places where God spoke specifically and said, this is what I want you to. I've experienced that, but it's been in the minority. But here's what I have experienced. I've experienced that God has given me everything I need to make decisions. Folks, for those of you that are parents, you don't want your parent, your, your children, to grow up to be 30 and 40, 50 years old and always coming back to you and asking, Mom, Dad, what do I do? That's not, that's not good parenting. The joy of every parent is to raise their children that then when they get older, they can make responsible decisions for themselves. You don't think God wants anything less than that for us? God wants us to make wise and good decisions based on all of the information. So here's the thing. In getting the guidance from God, the first place you go to is the Word of God. It's the Scripture. Now, now be very careful about that because sometimes we go to the Scripture looking for the answer rather than for looking for the principles. The principles are always there. I get nervous about people who say, the Scripture said this, therefore God tells me this, and this is what I'm going to do. I want to know, okay, show me the proof. I need to find, I need to see the working out. How are you using the Scripture to know God rather than to just go for your answer? The scriptures can guide your life. God is in them, the power there to be able to guide you. But it starts with us being able to be humble over the course of time, not using the Bible like the auto manual in our glove compartment, which we only go to if there's a problem. No, it's a consistent taking seriously, going into God's word to receive truth. But I would also say this. In addition to God's word, 
ask him. James chapter 1, verse 5 says that if you lack wisdom, whoever lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And I know me. Sometimes I get to the place where I'm trying to work a situation in my head and I'm going all over the permutations and the calculations. And sometimes it can be almost a Herculean effort for me to stop all of the thinking and just to say, God, I need your help. God, please give me your wisdom. Show me how I'm supposed to address this particular situation. It's humbling but it's also one of the ways that we trust in the Lord by actually asking for his help. Another step we do, we take in the process is get essential information. Getting essential information. Proverbs 21.5 says this, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Proverbs 14.15, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. In other words, sometimes... Again, in our own heads, all we can see is what we know, and it ain't a whole lot. So therefore, take the time to do some research, do your due diligence, to exercise the appropriate amount of caution and investigation to make sure you're seeing things clearly, to get the the clarity on the reality of the situation. Get information that you don't normally have inside your head because it can help you to make the kinds of decisions that are wise. Which brings us to the next thing, get wise counsel. Get wise counsel. Chapter 13, verse 20, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Chapter 15, verse 22, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Did you catch this? It's wise counsel, not just counsel. Because as both of you and I know, there's a lot of people out there who have nothing but a lot of opinion, not necessarily wisdom. And I'll just go ahead and say this. Some of the stuff that's out there, some of the counsel, it's kind of stupid. It's kind of dumb. I love the fact that on right now on online tech support blogs or on articles that they now have this one question survey at the end of articles. And the question is, was this article helpful? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it wasn't. It was irrelevant, didn't answer any of my questions. I love the fact. I think we should be doing that to a lot of the stuff that's out there by saying, you know something? I'm not going to be impolite and saying it's dumb or stupid. It's just, it's not helpful. Here's the decision we can make. How about we decide that we're only going to pay attention to those who actually have wisdom rather than those who have an opinion? Can you imagine the airways that that would kind of go in clean if the only people that we let into our lives are those who are wise versus those who have an opinion? So seek the counsel of friends, good friends who are wise themselves, parents, pastors, counselors, books, authors, who are wise in the particular area that you need some insight in to give you a perspective but it's our decision to seek wise counsel, the perspective from beyond us. But also leads us to this next thing, that is take time to stop and ponder. In other words, get still and consider. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 16 says, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Proverbs 19, 2, desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet, misses the way. I will tell you that that's where I made a lot of my mistakes, is making decisions with little information and doing it too quickly. Folks, there is always time to stop and think through, to analyze and examine the information that you've got, to analyze the wisdom and the counsel that you've gotten from other people. 
And to do that with God in the room, to walk through that period of solitude and silence just to be able to get that perspective and think through and answer some questions like this. Okay, is what I'm about to do, is, does, is it consistent with the word of God? Does it violate the character of God? Does it impede his work of righteousness in me? To stop and consider, to pause and ponder the consequences, the realities. But then finally, here it is. If you have done everything you know to do, if you have trusted in the Lord with all your heart, you sought not to rely on your own understanding, you sought in all your ways to know him, to turn away from evil, to not be wise in your own eyes, you've gotten the counsel, you've gotten the guidance, you've gotten the, 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 the perspective of the truth. That's, in other words, if you've done everything you know to do, then here's the last step. Decide and trust the results to God. Decide and trust the results to God. Because I'm not always sure that there's always only one right answer to every situation. But if you have done everything you know to do, if you've made yourself available to God in every way that you can, then choose and then trust. Because here's the thing. The God who loves you, the God who knows you, the God who wants you to know him is more than capable of taking all of your decisions, especially those that are made with him in mind, and using him in a way to actually bring benefit and good to your life, no matter the consequences you may experience. Choose and then trust. In peace, trusting that God will work all things out for your good, for those who love him and are called according to his plan. I don't think that God wants to answer all of our questions for us, but I do believe he desires to guide us and to give us the ability of being able to make the right kinds, the best kinds of good decision that's informed by his leadership. Which brings us to the most important question or the most important decision that every single one of us needs to make, and that is to trust our life to Jesus Christ. The God in the flesh who came, who made a decision on our behalf to take upon himself our sins, the consequences of our bad choices against God, and yet who rose from the dead, and who offers power and life and forgiveness and healing, but also the resources that help us to also make the kinds of decisions that enable us to walk in harmony with God in a very chaotic world. I encourage you, if you've not done that, then today can be the day, and today might be the day you make the greatest decision of your life to say, Jesus, I am deciding to give you full control. Guide me, forgive me, direct my heart, help me to be the kind of person that reflects your character. But here's the one thing that I want to kind of leave you with as a practical application for whatever you're going through. Maybe you're right you're here right now and you're looking for wisdom on what to do about your relationships, your marriage, your job, your finances, your health, health of your loved ones. And you don't know where to turn. You're not sure, exactly sure what to do. I'm going to pray in a moment and I'm going to invite you to pray to God because I believe at this point he wants to hear from you more than he wants to hear from me. And in that time of prayer, ask God for wisdom. Humble yourself and ask God for wisdom and be open 
but you turn to his word, you turn to him and let this God who loves you and knows you guide you. The first step, informed, ask him. So Heavenly Father, I pray right now for these that are here and for whatever issues that are going on in their life that you know perfectly well. I pray that you'd help us to have an understanding of your love for us and that right now in this time of silence that Lord, they would ask you for the wisdom that they need to live life in harmony with your will by your guidance. Hear these prayers we pray in Jesus' name. And now you talk to God and ask him for the wisdom 